If you remember from our study of the book of Acts, Paul wrote what we know today as his first letter to the Corinthians. He wrote that when he arrived in Ephesus at the end of his second missionary journey. So you remember Paul had these multiple missionary journeys where he was going through to these different cities, establishing churches and all of that. And at the end of his second missionary journey, after he had already established the church in Corinth a few years after that, he comes to Ephesus and that's the place, that's the time. We read about this in Acts you know, 18, close to Acts 18. And he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, the book that we have as 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to an earlier letter, which we don't have. And in 2 Corinthians, he seems to be referring to another letter that we don't have. Right? Some, some scholars think that parts of that other letter were incorporated into 2 Corinthians, so maybe it's there, but we're not quite sure. In any case, it's not just two letters. There may have been three or even four letters that Paul had written to the believers in Corinth. However many there were, regardless of the number of letters, the Lord in his providence has seen it fit for these two texts to be preserved for our illumination and our instruction. So we receive these words. We're not going and searching for what we cannot find. We say, this is what the Lord has preserved for us. Let's pay attention to it. Now, we know from Acts chapter 18 that the church at Corinth was one of the churches that Paul founded as part of his mission to the Gentiles. It was almost entirely a Gentile church, right? And at least as it started. And he spent at least 18 months there teaching the word of God. So we read that in Acts, right? It says he stayed there for 18 months, which was a little unusual. Typically, he would sort of go in, establish something, and then move on and be on, you know, just going through that entire area. But he stayed in Corinth for about 18 months <coughs> teaching and helping the church to get established. And he was assisted in that time in this teaching and building and forming of the church in Corinth by Aquila and Priscilla. So you may remember we just read their names in Romans chapter 16 in that whole, you know, list of names. He particularly calls out or mentions Aquila and Priscilla and says, you know, they were co-laborers with me. They were active with me. And then they would have made their way to Syria along with Paul out of Corinth. And then ultimately they would have made their way to Rome. But by the time he writes this letter of 1 Corinthians, by the time Paul writes this letter, just a few years after the founding of the church in Corinth, the believers in Corinth have not only gone into sinful practices, including sexual immorality, they have ironically become too full of themselves. They think of themselves as more spiritual than others, including Paul, and they have essentially turned against Paul. They may have been deceived by false teachers and false teachings, or they may have been unduly influenced by the very pagan culture around them. Or they may have succumbed to the lusts and desires of their past. The things that they had just come out of. They may have returned to that in some ways. But whatever the case, they are not as receptive to Paul's message. And based on what Paul writes in this epistle, 
and we'll see more of this in chapters 4 and chapter 9, they are questioning his apostleship and his character. So Paul's letters to the believers in Corinth are not altogether pleasant and complimentary general words of encouragement. He is upset with them. He is defensive. He is correcting them. And through it all, through all these real human struggles and situations of the Corinthians, the Lord has a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of instruction for us. As Paul is writing, in, writing to the Corinthians in the first century, because it is God who is communicating his truth through Paul, it is wonderfully relevant for us in the 21st century. So we look at this, these books, we read, we pay attention to it, saying, oh God, teach me what you would have me learn, what you would have me receive. So even as the Corinthian believers were struggling with all the sins and the problems that we struggle with, it is important for us to remember that they are children of God just like us who are called to live by the Spirit. So with that background in mind, there's a lot more that can be said about the background and the context, but with just at least this much of a background in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So keep in mind, these are people that are opposing Paul. And he has written a letter before to them trying to bring correction already. But in these nine verses, in the opening of this letter, this epistle, in these nine verses, Paul affirms at least four important truths about the validity of his apostleship, why he says that I'm an apostle, about God's holy people, about what God has given us as his gifts, freely given, and about how God preserves us. So in just in these nine verses, he's reaffirming certain truths. And in, in affirming or reaffirming these important truths, in these nine verses, 
Paul is setting the baseline. He's establishing the foundation for, for what he will address through the rest of the letter. Right? So keep that in mind. So when you read these statements of correction later on in the book, and when you read him being very hard on the people and saying things to them, remember that he's already established this foundation and how he thinks of them and how he's praying for them and how he's affirming what God is doing. And it's based on that foundation that he then makes the corrections. Right? So here's truth number one. The truth of Paul's calling. It is not an accident that Paul begins with a statement about his apostleship. He is making clear by what authority and with what content he is teaching them and correcting them. He says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. He saw the risen Lord who personally commissioned his ministry to the Gentiles. He established churches, including the one at Corinth, because of his call as an apostle. He is an apostle called by God and according to the will of God, according to the purpose of God, according to the plan of God. So he's stating these things. He's saying, I'm not doing this just on my own. Why would I want to suffer all this stuff? But I'm doing this in obedience to the call of God in my life. I am an apostle called by God according to his will. And so he's establishing his credentials as such. And the confidence that the Corinthians and we can have in listening to Paul is therefore based on this divine origin of his message. It is not the message of human beings. It is not his imagination. It's not his thinking. He's saying, I'm called of God and I'm representing what God's word is. This is what God's message is. This is the gospel. And he says, that's what I'm declaring to you. Right? So the first truth is this truth of the calling of Paul, the apostleship of, call, of Paul, and that there is truth in what Paul teaches because there is truth in his calling. Right? Now, truth number two. The truth of our calling. Just as Paul became an apostle because of divine activity, God, Jesus is directly intervening in his life. He's on his way to persecute Christians, to put them to death, you know, so on. And into that set of circumstances, Jesus intervenes directly. There is divine activity that has brought Paul to Christ and to be an apostle. So just as Paul was an apostle because of divine activity, the Corinthians, this is what Paul is stating, so the Corinthians and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are sanctified and made holy because of divine activity. We're not holy because of our good works. And we're not sanctified in Christ Jesus because of our choosing. We don't say, I want to be sanctified. I will do these things to be sanctified. I yield myself and therefore I'm sanctified. It's God's doing. It's God's work in us. We are called by God. We are made righteous by God. We are in Christ 
and Christ is in us. That's all God's doing. And because we are in Christ, along with everyone else who is in Christ, we are joined with others in the body of Christ. Again, that is God's doing. Right? There is a communal aspect to our Christian living. What we do impacts others. What others do impacts us. We are not isolated. We are not islands. We are in a body. We're not machines, parts of a machine, cogs in a machine that can just be replaced. We are in a body. There is an interdependency. There is an interconnection. And so God says, and he's emphasizing this, Paul is emphasizing this, you have been called. You have been brought to grace. You have been given this, this privilege to be part of the body of Christ. And so then he says, that, and we read this actually in other scriptures too, it's not explicitly mentioned in these scriptures, but the church in Corinth was to be the temple of the living God amidst many pagan temples. Corinth was a very pagan place, very hedonistic and all sorts of things going on and extremely pagan city. And in the middle of that city where there were lots of temples, the church was being called to be the temple, the dwelling of the true and living God. And the believers, the children of God, were being called to be the temples of the Holy Spirit. They were being called to be living counter-culturally to the way of life that surrounded them. Sound familiar? This is the message that Paul is emphasizing. He's saying, look, you were called by God. This is not some you know, trivial thing. You were called by God. You have been saved by God. And so when you live like this in Corinth now, the church in Corinth shines as a light in the midst of all that darkness. And the people in the church in Corinth, the people who make up the church in Corinth, shine as the lights in all of their circumstances. You are the ones that have been called for this purpose. New Life Fellowship Church in Concord must be the temple of the living God. When there are so many other places of temples around us, that we have to be the place where God is honored and lifted up. And as believers in Concord, we are called to live counter-culturally to the way of life surrounding us. So Paul is reminding all the believers of their identity in Christ. He's saying, this is who you are. Don't forget that. Don't get caught up in all these activities. Don't indulge the flesh. This is who you are. This is who you are as a child of God. So that is the truth we can live by because there's a truth in our call, in our calling, in how the Lord has joined us to himself and to the body. There's a truth in that, and so we can live according to that. Truth number three, the truth of our gifting. Now we'll get into more specifics about spiritual gifts in later chapters, but here in verses four through seven, Paul states that the 
Corinthians have received the gift of God's grace. God has given you this grace as a gift. He has given you this gift of grace and you have been given or you have been enriched, you have been made rich in Christ with every kind of speech and all knowledge. And he says, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. So remember, as we go into the later chapters and he's talking about the abuse of gifts and he's talking about inappropriate things that are being done and he's talking about corrections that have to be brought, he's starting here by saying, God has given you every gift. God has given you grace. God has given you richness in him. God has given you knowledge. God has given you all manner of speech. God has blessed you with spiritual gifts. Don't forget that. Understand that. Recognize that. There is a truth. Right? So this is a remarkable statement because the Corinthians are opposing God's word through Paul and yet Paul is acknowledging the work of God in them and the Holy Spirit in their lives. He's saying the Holy Spirit is actively in, engaged in your lives. The Holy Spirit is giving you gifts. The Holy Spirit is speaking through you. And they're the ones who are opposing him. Right? So, and I'll say more about this just in a few minutes as we get to how to apply these truths. But the point here is that we can live by the Spirit. We can live in the Spirit by the power of the Spirit because there's a truth in our gifting. There is a truth in what God has gifted us with. Right? And then truth number four, the truth of our preservation. We find our identity in Christ. We receive the gifts of God. And we eagerly await the coming of the Lord. That's what Paul says to them. right? You have been given all these blessings and you're eagerly awaiting the coming of the Lord. And this is very important. He points out, he says... We are preserved until his coming by the Lord, by the Spirit. Notice the emphasis in verses 8 and 9. He, who, God, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be presented blameless before the Lord because of the truth of our preservation. Who is preserving us? God is preserving us. Who, what, which God? The God who is faithful. The great I am, the true and living God says, I will preserve you and keep you and bring you blameless before me. Oh, that's exciting. That's wonderful. That's a great encouragement to be knowing that God himself is the one that is preserving us. Which brings us to the point of application. And I want to spend a little bit of time here even as we have gone through those truths. And again, read it through, read it through, read it through again and go back and look at references that, that support those points. But I want to say that we respond and apply this word of God that we have heard by reaffirming these truths in our lives and by recommitting to live according to these truths in our lives. See, the Corinthians, Corinthian believers 
not only didn't live up to the word of God that they had initially received, many of them also didn't accept the correction and admonition that they continued to receive. So Paul is sending them correction. Paul is saying this is something that needs to be changed. This is something you should do differently. And many of them didn't receive it. Many of them didn't do it. And the point is that we have a similar choice with, before us today. We are children of God. We have the grace of God. We have the spirit of God. We persevere and we live. And we, the perseverance of the saints. We persevere in our lives because of God. But when the word of God confronts us and when the word of God corrects us about how we think and behave in our daily lives today, we can choose to respond to that word or we can choose to reject that word. Let me make this clear. Because God is faithful, if you remain in him, he will continue to sanctify you and make you blameless. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will keep coming after you. If you stray away, he will leave the 99 to come after you. And the Lord is faithful. He's a good shepherd. He will care for you. He loves you. He calls you his own. He will bring you to himself and keep you to himself. There's always that work of God and I believe that there will be a glorious end because of that, as we trust him, as we stay with him. And you can choose to reject the Lord entirely and walk away from him entirely and say, I want nothing more to do with you, and that's a whole different story. But if you will say, the Lord is my Lord, and regardless of this that I'm doing or I have done or I'm thinking of doing, I can return back to him, I can run back to him, I can repent, I can, I can be restored, and the Lord will be my Shelter. The Lord will be my deliverer. The Lord will be the one who cleanses and restores me. Oh, thank God for that. Oh, thank God for that. But here's the point that I'm telling you about what happens in the meantime. The question is what happens in the in-between time. In between our justification, when we came to the Lord Jesus and we were saved, and now we have been justified, we have been set right and made righteous in Christ, it is just as if we never sinned because the penalty of our sin was taken on the cross and Jesus paid the penalty for us. It is as if we have been washed and made white as snow, clean and pure and given these garments without spot or blemish and we are justified in Christ Jesus. In between that justification and our glorification, when he returns and we will no longer be in these earthen vessels, but we will be transformed to be like him and caught up in the clouds with him and joined with him for all eternity between the justification and the glorification, there's this in-between period of sanctification. And the question is, what happens there? What happens then? How is that sanctification process taking place? Because if we respond to the word of God and allow him to work that word in us, our sanctification proceeds. If we resist the word of God, God will do everything and he will bring people and he will go after us and he will cause us to, to repent and to come to him and to be set right. But when we resist, when we do not follow the word of God, 
when we go our own way, there is a consequence. And the question for us is, will we allow that sanctification to take place in us across the breadth of our lives, meaning all the areas of our lives, not just a few, and across the depth of our lives, into the deep areas of some particular thing. We allow the Lord to do this, but we don't allow him to clean out all of it. We don't let him get deep into that and to uproot the root cause of it. We say, oh, I'm good, I'm good. The symptoms have been dealt with. The behavior has been changed. The, maybe even the thought process, the mindset has changed a little bit. But I don't really want you to go to the, the depth of it. And so the breadth and the depth of that sanctification process before the Lord, the question is, will we yield to it? Will we allow the Lord to work in it? Will we allow him to say, remove this addiction, remove this dependence, remove this hurt, remove all of these things, remove these tendencies, remove these lusts and these desires, remove these ways in which I am prone to wander, remove it from me in the depth of, in the breadth of it and in the depth of it. Do this, Lord. Because when we don't do that, when we resist the Lord, when we resist the Holy Spirit, what happens is that there is a consequence that if we're not taking every thought captive, if we're not offering our bodies as living sacrifices, if we're not recognizing that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, what happens is the timing, the outcome, and the blessings of what God has intended for that specific season of our life are either delayed or missed. It's not that we're losing salvation. Hear me. God has brought us, brought us to himself. And it's, we will be with him for eternity. But the things that he intended for us in this life on earth, we miss them. Or we are delayed in them. We're not seeing the outcome that could be there. We may have been called by the Lord to do this one thing. We didn't do it. What happens? There's some blessing, some outcome, something that is missed. Both for ourselves and for someone else. Now the Lord will fulfill his purpose. His plans remain. He is sovereign. If we're not going to be used of him, he'll, he'll, he'll find the way to do that. Right? It's not dependent on us in that regard. But it affects us. When we miss out on the things of God, we miss out on the things of God. And so we want to come to him and say, Lord, you do this work in me. You told me months ago to do this. I still haven't done it. Help me to do that. You told me to make this correction and this change 10 years ago. I didn't do it. And so we want for that work of God to happen. When I was in my 30s, I was praying one time and I had this very distinct sense. I had a very distinct sense from the Lord. It wasn't just a thought of mine. It wasn't just something I came up with. It wasn't something, something someone said to me. It wasn't a prophetic word from someone. Nothing like that. Word of knowledge kind of thing. I was praying and I had a very distinct sense that I was about 10 years behind where the Lord wanted me to be. I was just like, oh my God. You know, I, I thought about it and I said, God, where, what the Lord wanted me to know, what the Lord wanted me to do, and you know, to be consistent in doing it and to have built up the experience in that area, I felt that the Lord was saying to me, you're about 10 years behind. And I started to pray and I said, God, I need to redeem the time. 
I have to do something deliberate here. I have to do something intentional. And I thank you, Lord, that you say that you redeem the time. You cause us to redeem the time. Redeeming the time is buying it back. It's to bring it back. It's to say, I, I pay a price for this. And I said, God, you've got to help me redeem the time. Whatever I've missed, whatever I've not been obedient in, whatever I haven't paid attention to the Holy Spirit for, help me to redeem the time now. Help me to pay attention to what you would want me to do. And in my 40s, I started to pray again about all these topics. And I felt maybe I'm about five years behind. Now I'm in my 50s. I can't tell you how far behind I am anymore. But I'm still, I just still feel that, you know, where I say, ah, there's a maturity. There is a living out. There is a, a guard on the tongue. There is the speaking of words of grace. There's a consistency of action. There should be a willingness to share. There should be a, a, a completeness of joy. There should be that strength that the Lord is, has ordained for me that should be manifest in a certain way at this point in time. And I feel like, ah, I miss certain things. I didn't pay attention to those things in the way that I should. And now I'm saying, oh, we don't want to be in that kind of regret or remorse or anything of that kind. We want to say, Lord, I am in step. I'm keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Not falling behind. Not saying, I'm, you know, the Lord wanted me to be here and I'm over here. It's not that I've fallen away from the Lord. It's not that I don't love the Lord. It's not that I don't like the word. It's not that I'm not praying. It's not that I'm in, not in church. I'm doing all those things. But am I paying attention to the full counsel of the word of God, taking correction, applying that sincerely and consistently, and is that showing up in my life in a way that reflects the, where the Lord wants me to be? That's the question. And again, the word is very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying this to say, oh, I wake up in the morning and go, oh, what a terrible person. Oh, God. Oh. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying, I make an observation. I'm asking the Lord and he's showing me. With the, so there's no condemnation on it. There's no guilt on it. There's no, you know, sort of un, unnecessary regret on it kind of thing. It's just an observation. I should be here. I'm here. Okay, what do I need to do? How do I catch up? What do I need to submit to the Lord? What do I need to be disciplined in? How should I receive the grace of God, the gifts of God, the salvation of God, the justification of God, and live in that life that he wants me to live by the Spirit so that I am sanctified to the extent that he wants me to be sanctified? That's what I'm praying for. And I pray that that will be our prayer. That we would, in light of God's word and in all of what we're going to go through in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that you would examine your lives in the light of God's word. And you would say, Lord God, where am I? Maybe you're right where the Lord wants you to be. Wonderful. Maybe you're a day behind. Maybe you're a year behind. Maybe you're 10 years behind. Ask the Lord. He is faithful. He will bring us to himself and he preserves us till the very end. That's his responsibility. You just have to say, Lord, show me what I should do.
Speak to me. And whatever you show me to do, I will do it. I'm going to pray and conclude. But I want to encourage you right after this service, if you want to just stay for a few minutes, if you want to talk, just let's go out into the, into the foyer. Um, if you want to just pray for a few minutes and just say, Lord God, in light of this word and in light of what you're speaking to me, I, and maybe the Lord isn't even saying something very specific to you right now. But you could just take a few minutes and say, Lord, speak to me this week. Show me those areas. Show me those things. Help me to know what I need to pay attention to. Let me not live according to my own thinking. Let me live according to your word. Let me not switch or twist anything according to what I think, but let me live according to your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that, Lord, your word is complete for us and your word corrects us. It brings us back to you. It causes us to catch up with where we need to be. It keeps us in step with the Spirit. And so, Lord, as we wait on you, as we live by the Spirit, we want to indeed stay in step with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for these reminders of these truths. In these coming weeks, help us to pay close attention to what you would speak to us through this series and live up to it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.